Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. A lot in the news today. Obviously, the bombings are at the very top. I am seeing, hearing whatever the appropriate uh, sensory metaphor is, the echoes of Kristallnacht. I mean, this is this is truly breathtaking when you consider it. In fact, it was well summarized over at the top of Democratic Underground with a a graphic that says, after three solid years of constant, violent rhetoric against Democrats and the media, Trump reacts to the attempted assassination of two former Democratic presidents, a former Democratic vice president, a former Democratic secretary of state, a former Democratic attorney general, two sitting Democratic congresswomen, a former director of the CIA, employees of a mainstream news organization, the attempted assassination of all of these, and of two private citizens who have criticized him. And then they quote Trump, you know, well, they only have themselves to blame, which is essentially what Newt Gingrich said to this demonization of Democrats and Jews, specifically George Soros. And how this has played out to the point now that some crazy has attempted to assassinate former presidents, a former vice president, former secretary of state, a former attorney general, and a sitting congresswoman. But uh, step into the Wayback Machine with me to November 9th and November 10th of 1938. This was, well, that fall before November, In October of 1938, a young man by the name of Herschel Grispan, he was a 17-year-old ethnically Polish Jew who had been living in France for several years. This is from history.com, by the way. Learned that the Nazis had exiled his parents to Poland from Hanover, Germany, where he had been born and where his family had lived for years. He got seriously angry with the Nazis and decided he was going to retaliate. So on November 7th, 1938, Herschel Grinspan, G-R-Y-N-S-Z-P-A-N, 
a young a Jewish boy, 17 years old, shot Ernst von Roth, who was the German attache. He was the German diplomat who was in Paris. And Roth died two days later from his wounds. That was on November 9th. On November 9th, Adolf Hitler attended the funeral. And Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi minister for public enlightenment, immediately whipped Germany into a, a frenzy, essentially. You know, sort of the way that uh, Trump is doing now with the, the, the caravans coming. Oh, my God, you know, we need to get the army out. We need to. And the result of that rage was a, a two-night, two-day killing and smashing spree by, quote, good Germans. This was not Hitler's military. This was not even just the brown shirts. The brown shirts were the Nazi equivalent of the Proud Boys, you know, the civilian, right-wing, racist, paramilitary organization, for lack of a better phrase. Nazi mobs torched or otherwise vandalized hundreds of synagogues throughout Germany and damaged, if not completely destroyed, burned to the ground thousands of Jewish homes, Jewish schools, Jewish-owned businesses, Jewish hospitals, and destroyed Jewish cemeteries, and they murdered over 100 people. And we don't have numbers on how many were severely injured, but it had to be in the thousands. And the next day, you know, or the, you know, over these two days, this was, they were just smashing everybody's windows. And these were, again, just mobs, like we saw in Charlottesville. Jews will not replace us. Just mobs. And smashed so many windows that the, it was referred to originally as the Night of the Broken Glass in English. Kristallnacht. Kristall, uh, broken glass, Nacht, night. So that's, that's what happened on November 9, 1938. After that, there was a guy in the U.S. government, his name in the U.S. State Department, his name was Breckenridge Long. He died in 1958, and he was working for FDR. And he was an open anti-Semite. He was worried about the Jewish conspiracy to run the world. And so he put into place a policy in the State Department that they weren't going to be granting visas to Jews fleeing Germany or German-controlled territories. And this was after December 7th, 41, when we were attacked in Pearl Harbor. This was after we were already at war with Germany. Now, Germany at that point was a year into their program of murdering their own people by you know, exporting them to these death camps in Holland and Poland. Uh, there's a young man by the name of Arthur Spanier. He was the uh, a young Jewish man. He was the librarian, the Hebraica librarian. There was a, the, the Hebrew librarian at the Prussian State University Library and an instructor at the Hochschule für die Wissenschaft des Judentums, the Higher School for Jewish Studies, forgive my Schlechtdeutsch, both located in Berlin, Germany. After Kristallnacht, he was sent to a concentration camp, but he got a job offer from the Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati, Ohio, who he had been working with and corresponding with while he was a librarian in, in, uh, in Berlin. 
Uh, he applied for American visa, and because of the anti-Semitic policies of the guy in the State Department, it was turned down. He traveled to Rotterdam, the Netherlands, to try to flee the Germans, but he was trapped there in May of 1940. He was sent to Bergen-Belsen, where he was herded into a gas chamber along with a whole bunch of other people and killed. This was all, this all tracks back to, now this was 19, what I'm talking about here was 1944 when he was killed. But 1938, six years earlier, was the first major attack, Kristallnacht. And you say, oh, well, you know, it's, uh, that, that was all about Jews, and this isn't entirely about anti-Semitism. I refer you to Talia Lavin's piece in the Washington Post today. It's titled, Conspiracy Theories About Soros Aren't Just False, They're Anti-Semitic. And Talia writes, on October 5th, Donald Trump theorized on Twitter that Soros was behind the vocal protests against Brett Kavanaugh's appointment to the Supreme Court Justice, stating that, quote, the very rude elevator screamers were paid for by Soros. Congressman Matt Goetz of Florida pointedly raised the question of whether George Soros was paying for the migrant caravan, including where they defecate. She writes, after Trump's Soros tweet about Kavanaugh, the neo-Nazi website, the Daily Stormer, echoed and surpassed Trump's assertion that anti-Kavanaugh dissent was a nefarious paid-for plot. Quote, this is from uh, the Daily Stormer, a guy named Lee Rogers. It is impossible to deny that subversive anti-American Jews were the primary force involved in a sinister plot to destroy Kavanaugh. These Jews do not represent the interest of America. They represent the interest of their diabolical and evil race, first and foremost. Then on October 19th, Trump gives a speech in Missoula, Montana, in which he again says that the protesters are paid for by Soros. And over on 4chan, Trump named the immigration Jew. Naming the Jew is a phrase that these anti-Semites use to, to, uh, by, by way of saying, ah, oh, we've outed some nefarious Jewish conspiracy. This is an old canard. She writes, the idea that Jews are male malevolent fomenters of social dissent, agitators, slyly fu funding and masterminding protests, seeking to undermine a white Christian social order. Tim McVeigh killed 168 people in 1995 when he blew up the o Oklahoma City bombing. He did so because he read the Turner Diaries, and the Turner Diaries had phrases in them. This is a quote from the Turner Diaries. The unique historical role of the Jews is the ferment of decomposition of races and civilizations. Jews are plotting to manipulate and exploit the entire racial equality movement for their own ends. Your day is coming, Jews. Your day is coming. And the main theory here is that all of the African Americans who are out protesting are doing so, and the Hispanics who are protesting, and the immigrants who are coming into this country, all these people of color are doing so because George Soros, the big, rich Jew, is paying them to do it. And then Donald Trump shows up at his last rally and says, yes, I'm a, I am a nationalist. And what do we get? David Duke, the next day, October 23rd, tweeting, Trump embraces nationalism in a massive jam-packed 99.9% .9 white venue in Houston. Zionist journalists ask him if this is white nationalism. Of course, fundamentally it is. There's no ethnic or racial group in America more nationalist than white Americans. So what's the problem? tweets David Duke, former leader of the Ku Klux Klan in, as I recall, Louisiana.
Meanwhile, Newt Gingrich was uh, caught on the street by TMZ, a, a reporter for TMZ, and said, hey, what do you think about this? Uh, you know, Robert De Niro just got one of these things. Clinton, Obama, all these assassination attempts. Are you concerned? Gingrich says, I have faith in God. So then the reporter says, well, do you think that Trump's rhetoric had anything to do with this? And Gingrich says, well, you mean like Congress and Maxine Waters' comments saying that they should drive Republicans out of po public, that kind? Or the former Attorney General Eric Holder saying they should kick Republicans when they're down? And so then they said, well, what about, what about uh, Trump's attacks on the media? Do you think that had anything to do with it? And, and, and Newt Gingrich says, and I quote, the mainstream media have often earned it. This is the exact same message that Joseph Goebbels was spreading on November 10th and 11th of 1938. It's astonishing. And we need to do something about this. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I think step one is exposing it and exposing it in its real historical context, as I hope I have just done. Cheryl in Mount Pulaski, Illinois, watching us on Free Speech TV. Hey, Cheryl, what's on your mind? Well, it's a little different than what you're saying, but I'm amazed that they never talk about the fact that, yes, these, these bombs are addressed to these important people, but it goes through a mail room. It goes on a mail truck. All this time, it is exposing everybody, not just the Democrats, but the Trump people, have just as good a chance to be blown up because that bomb doesn't say when it's in transit it's only going to pick one particular party. Right. It appears so, that, uh, you know, for, for what it's worth, and excellent point, Cheryl, uh, it appears that the purpose for the timer was not to determine when the bomb would explode, that the bombs were designed to explode when the package was torn open, that the purpose of the timer was to make the make that fuse is the wrong word trigger I guess would be the right word of you know that that was attached to the package being opened to make that active so that the bomber could carry these bombs around without fear they'd go off in his car or in his hands and during the postal process they wouldn't explode and uh, so you know we don't know and and we probably won't for a few days how much time those were set for you know how, you know what the what the uh, what the time span was on those timers um but the, the the whole point was to keep them from blowing up at the mail that's not to say they couldn't have particularly if they yeah. were delayed by a day because i'm i'm guessing that one of these digital timers has a maximum timing period of 24 hours uh you know and 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 you wouldn't want to cut it too close you know i mean it's just you know how that's going to work out i don't know but but yeah i, th I think your point is well made BlindsGalore.com was the first place you could buy custom window treatments online, and because of that, they know what they're doing. They've been doing this for over 20 years and have covered over 2 million windows and know exactly how to get you the right blinds at the right price. They make it easy. They made it easy for Louise and me to go in and order. It was a breeze. It will be for you, too. Blinds Galore's products are hand-built from scratch, delivered right to your door, and created just for your windows. Their expert team is happy to help you every step of the way, either online or over the phone. Plus, they have the industry's best guarantee. 
If you don't like your custom blinds or shades for any reason, wrong color, you measured wrong, you don't like the style, you can exchange it for another covering for free. Blinds Galore will even set you up with 15 free samples and free shipping on top of the free expertise. It doesn't get any better than that. Blinds Galore makes it easy to get the custom blinds and shades you've always wanted in your home. Go check out BlindsGalore.com and let them know we sent you. That's BlindsGalore.com. Rob in Chico, California. Hey, Rob, what's up? Tom, you argue that Trump's an anti-Semite. No, I argue that Trump is using anti-Semitism and his followers to to satisfy to make happy his anti-Semitic followers. I'm not saying. I mean, Trump is the is the grandfather of Jewish kids. His his daughter converted to Judaism. His son-in-law is Jewish. Orthodox okay, of that. Thank you. I appreciate that. So Trump is not an anti-Semite, in your opinion. I don't know if he is or he is not, but I do know that the Trump administration, that what he has been doing in his speeches and through their actions has been a huge dog whistle to the anti-Semitic community. My main point, though, and I'll make it again, Rob, uh, is that anti-Semitism, and I, again, I refer you if, you, if you have any doubts or questions about this, Rob, read the op-ed in the Washington Post about George Soros. My main point is that Trump is following the fascist playbook, whether it's Duterte in the Philippines, you know, going against Muslims and drug users, or whether it's, it was Hitler in, in Germany going against Jews, whether it was uh, Mussolini in Italy going against communists. He is using the fascist playbook by identifying a specific group of people and saying, they are not us. Even though they live in our country, even though they are citizens, they are not us. They are the other. And as the other, we should suppress their ability to vote. We should restrict their activities. We should demonize them. We should hold them separate from us. And we need to hold the reins of power. And in the case of the United States, Trump is saying this about Muslims. He's saying this about South and Central Americans. And he is saying this about African Americans. All three, by the way, people who tend to have skin much darker than Donald Trump's, even with his orange goo on. That's what I'm saying. And the anti-Semitism is just icing on the cake. And it's why David Duke, ex you know, exuberantly tweeted, you know, after Trump called himself a nationalist. Yes, Trump has, you know, white nationalism. And the Daily Stormer, you know, the, 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 the literally the Nazi website is running pieces about how wonderful it is that Trump has finally come out against the international Jewish conspiracy and stuff like that. That's what I'm talking about. Dion in Joplin, Missouri. Hey, Dion, what's on your mind today? Yeah, I heard your uh, your discussion on Kristallnacht, and I I thought that was fantastic. I, I think we really need to contextualize everything that's going on right now. But my my question and, and my real problem is, how do we get people who don't believe in facts to understand facts, or more importantly, the people that are apathetic and just don't know, not that they don't care, or just that they just don't know. How, how do we get them? to see what's going on in a historical context and, and really be as concerned as I think people should be. Well, the rant I opened the show with will be up on YouTube in a few hours uh, as a standalone YouTube clip. And, uh, you know, you're welcome to, to share it with as many friends as you want. Uh, the most of what I was reading from was at, uh, at history.org, uh, their page on Kristallnacht. And uh, you share that with people. 
uh, you know, the, the, the simple fact of the matter is that while there is a, a good chunk of anti-Semitism in Trump and his white supremacists, and when you, you know, the, the last time I talked to David Duke on this program, and I, I won't have him back anymore as a, as a consequence of how he responded, um, everything I tried to discuss with him, he turned into, uh, you know, well, how many Jews run Hollywood? You know, these kind of, these kind of uh, question, really, really gross anti-Semitic questions. And, uh, you know, tried to turn the tables on me. It, it, so, but my point is that there's a, a big chunk of anti-Semitism in here, but it wasn't just the Jews that Hitler was going after. And just like it's not just the Jews that Trump is going after, he's going after African-Americans. Now, there were not people of color in, in Nazi Germany at the time. Now you've got the Turks in Germany who were brought in after the war to rebuild the country. They were called the guest workers, gastarbeiters is the German word for that. And now sometimes two, three, four generations down, many of them still don't have German citizenship. And there's a whole issue around this. And a lot of the rage of the modern day Nazis in Germany, and I'm talking literally the people who are and, and, the, and, the, and the hard right party, political party in Germany that just acquired some seats in parliament is against the Turks. It's not against the Jews because they got no Jews left. Well, well, or very few. But what's happening here is it's against Hispanics and it's against African-Americans and it's against Jews. It's a, it's a threefer. And I'm, I'm telling you, Dion, African-Americans know what's going on. They know what I'm talking about. Hispanics are quickly figuring out what's going on and know what I'm talking about. And the one, one problem might be that many, many uh, recent visitors to the United States or, or residents of the United States or even citizens of the United States who are Hispanic uh, listen to Spanish language media or watch Spanish language television. And I don't know how this is being played out there. But I think that the only thing that we can do is spread the word as far and wide as possible and not and not allow this both sidesism. you know, this this crap that you hear from time to time. Well, you know, there are radicals in the Democratic Party. Really? Uh, you know, well, you know, it's like Newt Gingrich said yesterday. Uh, you mean like when when uh, Eric Holder said when Republicans are down, you should kick them? Well, Holder was very, you know, he made it very clear. He was talking metaphorically. He was saying that, you know, when 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 uh, when the Democrats you know, or when the Republicans go low, you kick back, you fight back. That's what he was saying. And, and, you know, Maxine Waters and Dion, thank you for the call. Maxine Waters comment that, you know, uh, outing people in public. I think that that was wildly exaggerated and taken out of context. And to the extent that it wasn't, she's walked it back or apologized for. But but it doesn't matter. The real reason that these guys are going after Maxine Waters is easy to find and why why it's being supported by the billionaires behind them. And in fact, I, I printed this whole thing out here today. And I uh, don't know where it went, but it's uh, over at the, the website is uh, the U.S. House Committee on Financial Services, Democrats. And it's under Democrats-FinancialServices.House.gov. And you go to their to this main page and there's these uh, you go to Maxine Waters page. She's the ranking member. She she will run this committee if the Democrats take the House of Representatives. You go to her page and you look at the articles that she has published in the last year as the number two congressperson running the House Committee on Financial Services. Right? You, just, you just look at the, the titles of her articles, and I will read them to you. This is from democrats-financialservices.house.gov. Dems offer resolution establishing wealth gap as a national problem. Now, how do you think the billionaires like Mercer and Cokes and Adelson like that? At Yellen hearing, 
Waters seeks answers at the wealth gap. Another article. Another article. Financial services Democrats challenge Republican views on inequality issues. Another article. Waters uh, says GOP budget ignores inequality and the racial wealth gap in America. Another one. Waters, Maxine Waters calls for a focus on promoting growth and reducing income inequality in the United States. Another one. Waters discusses growing income inequality. And finally, the last one on the page. Leading House Democrats speaks out on globalization, inequality, and reform of international financial institutions. These folks who are funding and financing the Republican Party hate Maxine Waters for these reasons, not because she's black or a Democrat. And, and so they're perfectly willing to fund this hatred of her that then Donald Trump takes uh, you know, to his racist, anti-Semitic followers and just puts it on steroids. Carol in Manesson, Pennsylvania. Hey, Carol. These are very troubling times. Um, I'm with you. I believe he's going to invoke his, his vision or version of Kristallnacht. And I'm very concerned that this is going to hit the fan just about the time that the refugees hit the border. And I'm even concerned that we have an election. I, I, just, I just feel like all hell's about to break loose, and it's very frightening. What can we do to prepare ourselves? I think we need to wake people up. That was the big, you know, the, the, the thing in, in Germany, Italy, and, and, uh, uh, and Spain, and, and Chile, for that matter, although they perhaps had a little more warning because they'd seen that movie played before in, in, uh, in South America, was that people were not well-informed. They, they looked at what was going on and they said, well, this is terrible, but we don't know where it's going to lead. We now know where it leads in the most extreme case. And it may stop, you know, many steps short of that. But it, I, I agree with you. I think this is probably more 1934 than 1938. But this is this is what we've got, Carol. And the best thing I, I think we can do about it is talk about it clearly and without exaggeration and without fear, but point it out. Carol, thank you for the call. We'll be right back. Tom Hartman University Book Club reading today from Screw, The Undeclared War Against the Middle Class and What We Can Do About It. This is from uh, one of the last chapters, Chapter 13. It's titled Setting the Rules of the Game in the subchapter Gaming the System. If government can create conditions that cause a middle class to emerge by implementing fair rules for business, progressive taxation, free public education, the opposite is also true. Government can create a corporatocracy by deregulating business, by cutting taxes on extreme wealth, and by privatizing as much of the commons as possible. Conservatives call this starving the beast. Here's how you starve the beast. You put through tax cuts for the rich, which cuts back the revenues of the federal government to the point that if you got rid of all the social programs, you'd have a balanced budget. No more Social Security, no more spending for education, no more spending for Medicare and Medicaid. Let the government simply keep the armies, prisons, and police. Let's shrink government. That's their philosophy. When you cut all those social programs, you lose the middle class and its place, and in its place, create a very small, wealthy elite and a large underclass of starvation wage workers. You lose democracy and instead create corporatocracy. You change the rules of the game. We the people lose and the feudal lords win. Cons have been winning this particular game of Starve the Beast since Reagan first started seriously playing it in 1981. They've done it in large part by lying to the American people. And they've had to do that because if they told the truth, the majority of Americans would throw them out of office. 
This is, after all, still a democracy. If the majority of us agree to get rid of Social Security so that only the wealthy can have retirement benefits and the old are left to fend for themselves, so be it. If a guy breaks his neck and can't work and the majority of us decide not to help people who are disabled and as a result he has to beg on the street, well, we can democratically decide, decide to screw him and ourselves. But the conservatives are not having this debate in an open and honest fashion. They're not asking we the people if we want to get rid of, for example, the Head Start program. They could ask, do we want to invest in our youth or not? We know that if we invest in educating the very young, fewer of them will become criminals. It will save us money over the long term. But the majority of us say, no, we would rather pay $50,000 to imprison them later than pay $300 to put them in a Head Start. Now, if we said that, then that's fine. It's a democracy. But that's not the way the cons are doing it. Instead of explaining why it would be better for Americans to give all their money to the corporate elite, they're giving huge tax cuts to the rich while pretending that the tax cuts benefit all Americans. And that's just what the most ideological of the conservative elite want. They want an economic crisis because they figure that's the only way they can force a cut in spending on social programs. In 2004, they thought that they had starved the beast enough and they sent Bush out on the campaign trail to advocate getting rid of Social Security, privatizing it, putting it in the hands of Wall Street. But it didn't work. Turns out we the people apparently like Social Security. So the cons went back to starving the beast. Bush instead passed a new series of tax cuts with more to follow. The cons are trying to play the game so that the rich benefit while the rest of us lose out. They get tax cuts, we get program cuts. That's not a free market. That's a market that's being created for the benefit of the rich at the expense of the middle class. David Ricardo disagreed that raising wages first increased prices. He noted, quote, on the contrary, a rise of wages from the circumstance of the laborer being more liberally rewarded or from a difficulty of procuring the necessities on which wages are expended does not, except in some instances, produce the effect of raising price, but has a great effect in lowering profits, end of quote. In other words, all that talk about keeping wages down to keep prices down is a smokescreen. Business owners want to keep wages down to keep profits up. And when wages go down, profits do indeed go up. American wages have been falling steadily since Reagan first reintroduced conservative economics in 1980. And American corporations are generally more profitable than they've been in decades. In part, this is not only because wages are going down within the United States, but also because U.S.-level wages are being replaced by India and China-level wages through offshoring and outsourcing. But offshoring isn't a problem for American workers, the cons shout. It's the increase in productivity. American businesses need fewer workers because of automation. This is a tragic lie, and it's been bought hook, line, and sinker by most American politicians and even some economists. The book is screwed. Riduzone. If you struggle to lose weight, listen carefully. Riduzone works. I've never before endorsed a weight loss product, but I've seen the result firsthand with my brilliant wife, Louise, who, like so many, has had her share of diet frustrations. Losing weight is hard, right? Louise heard about Riduzone. She did her homework, learned it's FDA accepted, and that it helps us lose weight in a revolutionary way. Riduzone comes out of university research that discovered a molecule that helps regulate appetite. When it's out of whack, we're always hungry and crave foods we shouldn't eat. And good luck losing weight when you're already starving on day one. Louise tried Riduzone. She looks amazing. And I've never, never seen her this excited about a weight loss product. Listen, when diet and exercise aren't enough and you want to lose the weight you've been struggling to lose, 
get non-prescription Riduzone. Go to tryriduzone.com and use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, to receive up to 65% off on your order and free shipping. That's tryriduzone.com, promo code TOM. Congressman Mark Pocan, his website is pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. He's the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. And Congressman Pocan, I've been ranting here about what typically is referred to as hate speech. And, and actually, most countries have fairly rigorous laws against hate speech, even in a political context. Apparently, we don't. And I'm just curious your thoughts on these bombs and whatnot. This is Donald Trump being the most unpresidential president we've had, at least in my lifetime. He still thinks he's a reality show star. He still thinks that it's about ratings. He still thinks it's about how many people watch him on TV. And the more sensational you are, the more people might be intrigued by what could happen next when he's now the president of the most powerful country on the planet. And he has to start acting accordingly, and he hasn't. You know, he still has nicknames for people. He still says things that are outright lies and over the top that are extremely sensationalistic. And I was at a high school this morning and literally asked by someone who's in high school how we can bring more bipartisanship out. And we have a president who, you know, gives people nicknames like Pocahontas and lying this and, you know, everything else. Kids get it. We need this president to get it, to kind of stop the man-childness behavior and realize that we've got a different way to have discourse. You can disagree without being disagreeable, but you can't just incite people to the point that all of a sudden when they may do something because someone is a bit unhinged, you've got to expect that could happen when you're going for ratings and not going for being presidential. Yeah. Amen. Oh, Very well said. Is there anything you wanted to cover before we pick up some phone calls? Why don't we just go right to the phone calls? There's always a lot going on, but I think your listeners always have great questions. Okay. Zach in North Hollywood, California. You're on the air with Congressman Mark Pocan. Good morning, Tom and Mark. Morning. The head statistic terrorists for the last 20 years have been Rush, Hannity, and Murdoch. I think we all know that. Mitch McConnell says we're an angry mob. Well, correction, we're a conscious, lawful majority, and we have the right to be angry because we're sick of watching a corrupt minority take away our future that provides international cover-ups and security for killers, subsidies for outdated, dirty energy as they continue to comfort the comfortable and afflict the afflicted. We got a clear right to be angry after 30 years of stochistic terrorism. Question for you guys. How hard would it be to reform the FCC back to where it was that we can protect against hate speech and provide security for our interconnectedness? Yeah, Zach, great question. I mean, I think, you know, we're balancing the First Amendment rights of free speech, which as a member of the ACLU, I strongly support. And even when I don't like what someone has to say, they often have a right to say it. But there's also the balance of Donald Trump is the president of the United States. He has a different role than when he was selling detergent during his show Celebrity Apprentice and had to be sensationalistic for 40-some minutes an hour so that people would buy more suds. And he hasn't made the transition yet. And he really seems to like that part of his base that, that really loves the red meat. That's why he's doing all the rallies. But this isn't being president of the United States. You know, you have a different role when you're the president than when you are the main actor on Celebrity Apprentice, and he's not made that transition. So we really need him to step up, put the Twitter down. We can disagree, and I will disagree with him strongly on many issues, and you pointed out a number of them. But it doesn't have to happen in the tone and rhetoric that's happening now, because this 
will incite people. And eventually, if it's not these cases today, it's going to be something else down the road. And we just need to do better as a country because people across the world look to us to be better. Joe in Long Beach, California, you're on with Congressman Pocan. Hey, good afternoon. Do you remember when President Obama was running his campaign, 2008 or 2012, he went out with a national ad, basically it was his closing argument to run for president. I kind of believe that the DNC needs to do the same thing. We need to appeal directly, you know, eye to eye through a camera to our constituents, the millennials, the seniors. What do you think about that? Yeah, Joe, I think you make a really strong argument because, you know, Donald Trump is doing it. His closing argument is mobs, caravans, you know, immigration, a lot of fear he's putting out there because fear is a great, great motivator. But we have issues that I think are more substantive issues that I can tell you people everywhere I travel and help candidates out come up to be number one and number two issues all the time. Health care. People are deadly afraid that they're going to lose access to health care because it's an absolute economic certitude. They have to have that or else they can't support their family. Social Security and Medicare. My 89-year-old mom, 10 days ago, we moved into assisted living. And when you talk to her and other people who live in centers like that, they're relying on this for their life. And the fact that anyone would want to put that into Wall Street and let them, you know, roll the wheel and see if they can make money on it scares people quite a bit. We should be talking about how we can uh, make people rest assured that we will protect those items. We'll make sure that more people have access to health care. And of course, I would love to see single payer Medicare for all. But there's a lot of different ways we can do it. But we have to put those issues out there because people agree with us on the issues. They may be scared by what Donald Trump is saying, but then we can bring people back to really what is most personal to them. It's not a caravan that's in the southern part of Mexico. It's whether or not they have health insurance for their family. And I think you're right. We need to make that case very directly. And with our best spokesperson, and right now it probably still is Barack Obama. Omar in Herndon, Virginia. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes, Tom, thanks so much for taking my call and greeting to Mr. Falcon. I just have two questions. The first one, immigration is a very sensitive issue. How do you recommend that Democrats work around this caravan situation? And the second question, what is our 50-state strategy to win the House, the Senate, and the 2020 election? Thank you. Yeah, so on immigration, I mean, what I've been saying anyway is, you know, we had a bill that uh, two sessions ago got about 70 votes in the Senate in a bipartisan way. Was it perfect? No, but it was a comprehensive bill to address immigration reform from some extra security at the border to a pathway for citizenship for aspiring Americans. Let's start with that. The House didn't take it up. The Republicans in the House at the time, because the Tea Party couldn't get it on the floor. Because of this, we aren't moving forward on this issue. The answer is not a border, but we do have to address the 13 million people that are here currently. And we have to address when people do come to the border to make sure that we've got the right protections in place. So I think you've got to go to something like that, but then also share the very stories of why people come. We are a nation of immigrants. We have people right now coming with fair claims of asylum, and they're not allowed the process that's required by international law that we're violating because of Donald Trump and his rhetoric around the wall. So I just think we have to, first of all, depoliticize the issue, which is going to be difficult because the president only makes it a political issue. And then, you know, appeal to where we once were not that long ago, a couple sessions ago, um, with a comprehensive bill. And start clearly separating immigrants from refugees, eh? Absolutely, absolutely. And and the whole Middle Eastern rhetoric uh, has just been off the top. Yeah, this is tough stuff. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us taking your calls. And uh, you can check out his website, pocan.house.gov. He's the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan.
This is the Tom Hartman Program. Congressman Pocan taking your calls. And Laura in Maple Valley, Washington, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hello, Tom. Hello, Congressman. So I'd like to make a comparison between the gun laws, the common sense gun laws that we need in America domestically and kind of a background check for the nations that we want to sell arms to externally, too. I just wanted to leave that with you and hear your thoughts, Congressman. Laura, interesting point. You know, and this is exactly what we're dealing with with Saudi Arabia right now, right? Not just the fact that they very likely from the very top ordered the killing of someone who's been a critic in the Turkish embassy, but my concern and Rokana and others' concerns have been around the involvement in Yemen. And, you know, every time we're more worried about the arms sales to a country like that, even though they're creating the second worst probably humanitarian crisis on the planet outside of Syria in Yemen. And we've been uh, involved in some of that. So you're right. There should be standards uh, when you're selling weapons. It's not just about profit that you're trying to make for the defense contractors, which Donald Trump seems to carry about. This is really looking at who you're selling to. And this is our leverage right now with Saudi Arabia. My guess is Donald Trump won't use that leverage, but hopefully we can find people in Congress in both parties to have that conversation because I've seen more members of Congress vocal on this than I have seen the president. Monty in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thanks so much for taking my call. Um, Tom, I actually tagged you in an article saying that Trump and the GOP are the very definition of an angry mob. Mm. And my question for the congressman is Hillary Clinton. Now, I know the Secret Service was there, but we're seeing Heather Heyer was murdered by a Trump supporter, the Waffle House shooter, the Florida school shooter, uh, five journalists in Maryland were murdered by Trump supporters. When are the Democrats in unison going to come out and condemn Trump and saying he is inciting and encouraging violence? I can have a party in my house and serve alcohol to someone. And if I don't cut them off and they go out and they get into an accident, I could be held responsible. More and more people are going to die every day that Trump is in office. And the GOP and the right wing are encouraging this. I have heard people push back. It may not be the sexiest thing that the corporate news programs put on the air, but, I mean, people have pushed back and said, you've got to stop the rhetoric for a long time. I mean, we've been dealing with this. But unfortunately, today has happened. Fortunately, uh, this may wake some people up. But there's no question, I've said this many times, he's the most unpresidential president we've had in our history. Even if I disagree with him on policy issues, he can behave differently. And Republicans also think that. And uh, we need Republicans to stand up to him and say the same thing that Democrats already are saying. Amen. Chris in Oakland, California, on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Tom. Congressman, thank you for being here on the phone with us today. It's pretty obvious to me that people who are committing these acts, sending these packages, are doing so because they're desperate. They're becoming desperate. And these are not the acts of rational, confident people. Are you sensing a palpability of that anxiety in your Republicultist colleagues in the House, or are they putting the same brave face on privately to you as to the extent that you deal with them that they seem to be putting on in the media? And I thank you very much, and I take my answer up here. I just want to encourage people to stay strong, stay on your ground, and be sure and vote. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, thank you, Chris. So I think when you talk to many rank-and-file Republicans privately, they also don't like the tone, especially if they've been around for a while, because, you know, George Bush didn't do this, Barack Obama didn't do this, Bill Clinton didn't do this, go down the list. 
This is a very different presidency with someone who I think is closest to being a reality star in many ways than an elected official, and he operates in a different way. And they know that it's toxic to our public discourse. So I just wish that Paul Ryan, who once in a while during the campaign said something that showed he actually cared and got it. You know, he's been MIA ever since Donald Trump got elected. So that's been our problem. When Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan don't stand up and stand up for their separate co-equal branch of government, we're not going to hear it on the news media in many of the conversations or private conversations by Republicans who also have great disgust for this level of toxicity. Lowell in Salem, Oregon. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Congressman Pocan and Tom. I wanted to get your thoughts on the study, 2014 study by Martin Gillens and Benjamin Page that showed that the will of the average voters has zero impact on policy. And to kind of counterpoint that with, you know, how do we actually get things moving and done when, like, for example, like our Occupy movement was able to accomplish nothing. Our anti-war, anti-Iraq war was, I mean, they still went into Iraq. So it's, it's like we have no impact on anything that happens. So, Lowell, I'm not familiar with the uh, 2014 Gillum's Page study that you're referring to, but, you know, I can just tell you from doing this for 25 years, I have seen when people speak out and they do it in an effective way, they have a voice. I would argue while Occupy was probably one of the early movements that was out there, the movement right now is significantly different. Um, with groups like Indivisible and Move On and DFA and, and others uh, that are doing just an amazing job in connecting people to their elected officials. I mean, Indivisible really has been the breakout group, I think, of this presidency in letting people who live in Wisconsin call a key district in California to people who live in that district to call their representative. That's very scientific, technical, smart ways to influence people. And I've seen things not come to fruition that the Republicans wanted to do because of that. So I would argue my practical experience from watching this is if the people lead, eventually the leaders will follow. Uh, leaders aren't always the first to do it, but they do it after enough people have brought them to the point they have no other choice. I think we now have the tools in place to make that happen. So I'm actually very optimistic that if we take the majority, if we take it by five, it's going to be more difficult, right? I'll even say I've got probably a good 10 or 15 people in my caucus that prefer to spend life in the fetal position, rocking in the corner of a floor. You know, I wish they would do more. So, you know, it gets tough with five-seat majority, but if you have a 25-seat majority and you've got people doing what they need to, I think we can have some real change. There you go, which is why we all need to be sure to get out to vote and get all our friends out to vote and do everything we can to get out to vote. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us taking your calls. He's the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin in the U.S. House of Representatives. His website is pocan.house.gov, and you can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Take one atom of nitrogen and bond it with one atom of oxygen, and boom, you just created nitric oxide, a miracle molecule your own body makes that fuels your cardiovascular health, keeping you vibrant. But as we all age, our bodies need help generating more natural nitric oxide. Super Beets by Human N has harnessed the power of nutrient-enriched beets and created a superfood that helps your body make more nitric oxide on its own. The core philosophy of Human N is to develop heart-healthy products for your body. One teaspoon of Super Beats daily supports your cardiovascular health and blood pressure levels, giving you natural energy without the need of a quick caffeine kick or sugar high. We're talking real. We're talking healthy, natural energy. Call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply of Super Beats and free shipping with your first purchase. Feel the one plus one equals boom effect of Super Beats. 
Call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com today. Stephen in Ferndale, New York, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hello, Congressman Pocan. I guess my question is pretty short. Just what do you think that we can do and what are your plans personally to lower health care costs in the U.S.? Yeah, Stephen, thanks for your question. I, so, you know, I am a strong advocate of trying to get this country to a single-payer Medicare for all type system. You know, too many people in the district, in my district and other districts that I visit, uh, this is like the number one issue coming up for their economic security. If they don't have health insurance, uh, they don't feel like they're economically secure as a family. And, you know, not that long ago, if you had a pre-existing condition, you couldn't get health insurance. I call that profit insurance. And so along the way, we're going to do everything we can. It probably first and foremost, we have to shore up all the damage that's happened by President Trump and the Republicans to the Affordable Care Act. But, you know, if you have a $5,000 deductible and you're making $35,000 a year, you can't do that. That's not affordable health insurance. So we have to work on things like that. We have to get this country to look health-wise more like Canada and most of uh, civilized Europe. And I think that's my goal. I think that's the single best way you do that. You take away all the overhead. You take away the paperwork costs. You take away the advertising costs. You take away the profit incentives for insurance companies. And you really will lower the cost of health care and make it more accessible. And that's exactly where we need to move as a country. Yeah, and you use the example of 35000 a year. 33000 a year is the median income in the United States. Half yeah. of all people make less than that. So, I mean, that's not like, we're not talking about right. some small subset of the American populace here. Yeah. Incredible. Daniel in Socorro, New Mexico, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thank you. My question is, what is going to happen when these refugees hit our border? I live here in Socorro, and I was New Mexico. I was just in Veracruz for a vacation, and I saw like a young 14-year-old male dressed in clothes like he was from Guatemala. He was dead in the side of the road, and he was already dead, I could see, but I told the guards at the entrance of the park that I was hiking in. So what's going to happen? What are the Democrats planning to do when the refugees hit the border? Thank you. Yeah. Hi, Daniel. Thanks for the question. And, you know, I understand, at least from listening to the radio this morning, I always, uh, when I'm driving in, I listen to both Fox uh, and MSNBC radio, because it's on, uh, just to see what they're talking about for the day. And on Fox, they're talking about a new caravan from El Salvador, right? They love the caravan conversation. For us, I mean, you know, we have to do comprehensive immigration reform. Short of that, we've got to address the issues as they come up. By the time that caravan hits, and don't forget, some people are going to stay in Mexico along the way and won't make it to the border for other reasons. But by the time it hits, it's going to be about the time that we're doing the funding for the Homeland Security. And they will, I think, very likely, especially if we take the majority, try to use it to have funding for the wall. So we're going to have to address that. We're going to need people to be there to help us on the calls when that time comes. But I'm expecting a very robust lame duck 
cut period, this being one of the main issues in addition to the wall. We've been able to hold back funding with Republicans' help up to this point, because even most of them privately tell you they know it's ridiculous. But I'm fearful that when this gets here, there's going to be a real push. So I think in the short term, that's what we've got to deal with. In the long term, we absolutely have to get to comprehensive immigration reform that also provides for a pathway to citizenship for aspiring Americans. 13 million people here uh, need us to address that in a comprehensive way. Harold in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. I just want to talk about uh, single-payer insurance. A month ago, I got back from a trip to Germany, and unfortunately, I forgot. I ran out of a couple of medications, and so I had to went to a pharmacy in Germany and got the medication. There's one I got to take for diabetes and one for the heart, so I do have some problems. But anyway, since I'm not insured in Germany, so I had to buy the medication, and it was American medication, American-made, same medication I'm getting here, and they come in prepackaged, not like here. You know, yeah, they're typically they in blister packs in Germany. Right, yeah. correct. So. I got those 30-day supplies, so one-month supply. That one medication I got for the diabetes cost me 44 euros, which is maybe $58, something like that. The last time I picked that medication up here, 400-some dollars. And the other one was for the heart, same thing, 30-day supply. I paid about 60 or 62 dollars. I paid almost $800 for that medication here. Hmm. And it's the same thing. It's the same medication and made in America. Right. It's a horror story, Harold. What's your question for Congressman Pocan? The question is that we must go to a single-payer insurance. And the American company that sold those medications in Europe, they did not sell them at a loss. You know? No, they wouldn't be in the marketplace if they had. Uh, Congressman right. Pocan, your thoughts on this? Thank you, Harold. Yeah, so, I mean, Harold, I, I completely agree why we need to move to a single pair, but also let me just add, on the prescription drug front, we also, I think, can walk and chew gum at the same time because I think that one we can address hopefully quicker. There is no question that pharmaceutical companies, many of them, are ripping off the American public at an incredible rate. What you just gave are two great examples. We had a press conference when Pfizer was going to buy an Irish company through a legal loophole, uh, not pay U.S. taxes. Uh, we put a list of all the drugs, some major drugs they have, what they charge in Ireland and what they charge in the U.S. In some cases, it was one-twentieth of the cost for the same drug. There's no reason we should be ripped off, and uh, we need to be much more aggressive in fighting this. And a statistic that I have used, and I think it's important for us to use, between 2006 and 2010, of the 200-plus drugs that were approved by the FDA, all of them had part of their research was paid for by our tax dollars through the National Institute of Health, the NIH. So they can't tell you all that money is for research and development because a lot of your tax money is going to that, and then they rip you off when you're buying the drugs in the U.S. That's exactly what we have to address. What, again, was the time period and the number of drugs? 2006 to 2010, Tom, I'll get you the exact number. I think it's like 210 drugs, okay. but I'll get you the exact info. Great. Thank you. I love statistics. Yeah. Uh, Gabe in Brunswick, Ohio, you're on the air with Congressman Pokin. Hello, Congressman Pokin. I have a question. My question is basically on the Consumer Protection Act and the Dodd-Frank bill, you know, the Glass-Eagle. My uh, question is, is, how do you plan to protect it or expand it so we all don't go broke and 
be unemployed and not have any money to support our families. Another bank meltdown. Yeah. So, Gabe, let me um, take it a little bit uh, up a level, if I could. You know, part of the problem we've seen is once Dodd-Frank was passed, and while that had many protections in place, and again, thankfully, uh, Elizabeth Warren, with her expertise, was an instrumental part of getting a lot of that done, even before she was in the Senate, obviously, we've had rollbacks under this administration and this Congress. So, first, let's go back to shoring it up where we need to. And then, you know, with any time you pass a major law like that, you're going to find some areas you missed. Let's go back and get those cleaned up. But what we don't want to happen is exactly what happened in 2008 when the economy crashed hard, when, you know, banks were casinos uh, doing things with derivatives and other practices that clearly were not in the best interest of the public and for very short-term profits for very few in the banks. So we need to get those back in place, the Dodd-Frank regulations that have been rolled back, and then let's see what else needs to happen next. And I've been on the bill to restore Glass-Steagall, but there's other things, too, that we can do along the way. What do you think the chances are of any of this kind of stuff passing if the Democrats take the House even with a slim majority? That is the $100,000-plus question, uh, Tom, is, you know, if we have a five-seat majority, it's tough. There are a good 15 people in my caucus who uh, are nervous about everything, and it would be difficult to get them to do some actions, even though we'll show them people in their district supported. We need a good 25-seat majority to really be able to move, but with five or ten, we just have to be better in our communicating and working with the outside groups to move the legislators who need to be moved. There you go. Congressman Mark Pocan. You can find his website at pocan.house.gov, P-O-C-A-N. His Twitter handle is Rep Mark Pocan. Hey, thanks so much for your support for the Tom Hartman program. We deliver our program, of course, to commercial stations, which is how we pay our bills uh, through the revenue from running advertising. And you can learn more about those at our website at tomhartman.com. But we also share our program with non-commercial outlets, from Free Speech TV to Pacifica stations all over the country. And because with the Pacifica radio stations, there's basically no revenue coming in. The way that we support our nonprofit outreach is in large part through Patreon. People who support our program at patreon.com slash Tom Hartman get special little clips and there's a few other goodies, uh, behind the scenes kind of stuff. But that's principally, if you want to support the Tom Hartman program, um, that's the way to do it is to get over to patreon.com slash Tom Hartman and check out what we're doing and support our program. Thank you. Let's check in with the talk media news and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Loving What You Do. Alan Ratner's new book on the line with us is the author of Sideswiped, former Congressman Bob Ney. Bob, welcome back to the program. Well, thank you, Tom. So uh, what's at the top of your hit parade by way of headlines and news? Well, of course, the situation with the, the horrible situation with the, uh, the bombs that have been sent, they seem to be at this point in time, at least, uh, you know, they are not um, sophisticated, but they seem to be from uh, at least the same person or the same group. Right. Uh, because they are dangerous but not sophisticated, uh, then people that, you know, I've talked to some people that are sort of bomb experts, and this is so it's nothing coming from the government, but they seem to believe that they will be able to track down uh, whoever, person, or again, groups that were involved uh, in this. It's become a horrific situation, of course. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the president uh, made a, you know, a conciliatory statement, but then he went to Wisconsin last night and went right back to the national media uh, badgering and right. bashing. Yeah, hate the media. Yep. So he did that. 
the other thing is that the have you talked about the president's uh, cell phone yet today? No, I have not. Okay. Go for this it. This one is, I mean, this is amazing. Hey, let me, if I may, Bob, just to put this in context, mm-hmm. what the Republicans spent years harassing Hillary Clinton over and trying to prosecute her for, and millions of dollars trying to prosecute her for, was using a private email server in her home uh, to conduct government business when she was Correct. Secretary of State, which it turns out she didn't do, but she did use it for you know private stuff. But uh, right. and the whole thing was, you know, that server isn't secure. It doesn't have government level security. It could be hacked, and therefore we should lock her up. It never was Correct. hacked, it turns out, but we should lock her up because it could have been hacked. Now, to Mr. Trump. Well, I, I, I was going to actually make that conclusion to make that parallel because of all that was said. But there is also a part to this that is humorous, but it's sad. Um, and there was a defense in the story, and I'll get to that. President Obama, when he became president, he loved his BlackBerry. We all knew that. He wanted to keep it. They said, you can't, and he didn't. He turned over his BlackBerry. Well, President Trump, we find out, did not turn over. He has two phones. One is a, quote, government phone, and the other is his personal phone. He didn't turn it over. He has used it. Uh, they are saying uh, categorically, point blank, the Chinese have listened in, and not for secrets, but they have listened in to try to understand him, have psychiatrists, psychologists look at it to try to see how they can manipulate him, how they can woo him, et cetera, which is very fascinating. Right. They're, now, they're probably teaching President Xi how to how to behave right. toward Trump the way Sean yeah. Hannity does every night when they have their conversations. <laughs> right. That here's here's how to get him to be your best friend. Hire Sean Hannity to do it. So the part of this that is actually in the story that is amazing, Tom, is when the story says there wasn't concern about the president doing it because he doesn't read security briefings anyway. That's in the story. In other words, Trump is so dumb and uninformed that he couldn't spill American secrets because we don't give any to him. But we are kind of bummed out that that the Chinese are figuring out how he relates to people on a one to one basis so that they can they can uh, suck up to him more effectively. Basically, yes, you summarized it better than I could have. And that's in the story. It's, it's actually an amazing story. So he still continues to keep his cell phone. How he does that, why nobody is able to take that from him is, you know, beyond Now, he tweeted out saying that story was wrong, but he didn't offer any evidence. Right. Correct. So. <laughs> amazing. Bob Nay with Talk Media News. His book is sideswiped, and it's uh, still it's out in Kindle also. Bob, thanks so much for dropping by today. Thank you, Bob. Good talking with you. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Democracy really, I mean, the whole idea of democracy is the demos. It's us, right? The people. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.